0: good news to all of mankind. This is the message that the Jewish people were to be a be a be a priest to the nations of the world. They were to to actually lead people back to God. They were to show people what it was like to have God in your life. So what is it like to be a people of God? To be a people specifically chosen out of all the nations? And, and to, to show them what it was like to live this way. And God was going to prosper them. He was going to, to show the world through his people how amazing he is. The Jews were special people. Chosen for a special place, a special purpose out of all the nations. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance... When he divided mankind, there's only one place in Scripture we know of that he divides mankind. That's at the Tower of Babel. And that's what this is talking about. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. I know some of your versions will say sons of man. Those were the versions that were taken from the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. The ESV and many of the later versions were taken from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were much older. So he, he fixed the borders of peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And I don't have time to go into the whole sons of God thing. If you want to know about that, come and talk to me. I will show you what that is in Hebrew and what the people do in the time of Christ thought about those words. But Isaiah is this amazing pastor. He, he understands what we need. He, he looks at the human heart. He can see to the human heart. And this, is, this is a gift that's given to him by God. And he sees our inherent desire to take a holy, amazing, all-powerful God and we want to pigeonhole Him into something that we can control. This is something that humanity has done from the start. We try. We try to put God into a category that we can control. But as we are going to see... God is incomparable. God cannot be put into a category to be controlled. So Yahweh calls, Yahweh being his holy name which is I am in Hebrew. What what Moses was called told to tell the people that had sent him, Yahweh called Israel out of Egypt. He gave them the 10 commandments, not the 10 suggestions, it was the 10 commandments. He made a covenant, he made covenants with him with them, saying this is what i'm going to do for you if you if you follow me you'll stay in the land if you don't you're going to i'm going to have to punish you they disobeyed his laws and his character and they sought after other gods other elohim which is god in hebrew over and over and over again so what does god do after they split between the northern and southern kingdoms he sends the top the northern 10 tribes he sends them into captivity in assyria And now he's going to send Judah into Babylonian captivity because of their rebellion. See, but even so, even Assyria, even Babylon is going to be judged. Nobody on this earth is outside of God's purview. Just because someone does not believe in God doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't pertain to them. Just because you don't believe in God does not mean that you can do whatever you want and there there aren't going to be any ramifications for it. Because God sees all. God is Lord of all. So Babylon is going to be judged, but God will restore a remnant of his people because he promised Abraham. He keeps his promises. A very small remnant, comparably, but a remnant is going to come back to Judah and Jerusalem. So, what is Isaiah 40 doing? Isaiah 40 is giving us words of encouragement that were probably either given to the people during Hezekiah's time, which, you know, they're knowing this is going to happen. They've heard the prophecy. and They need to be encouraged. It's okay. God's God's got this. You know, we need to tell ourselves today all the insanity going on in the world out there. You know, the World Economic Forum meeting and telling us how we've got to get rid of our gas stoves and we can't have chicken eggs and... God's got that. They don't. They're not saying anything that doesn't surprise him. He's got it. He'll take care of it. They'll all get their due, which should scare us because we'll get ours too if we're not careful, if we don't trust him. Or it could be that these words are encouragement to those who are in exile. God's God's promised. He's promised. He's going to bring us back. God is a promise keeper. He will always make a way in the midst of the trials of our lives. He always finds a way to get us through. But there's much more to Isaiah 40 than just a great story from history. Isaiah 40 talks very much to us today. So we find ourselves living today, like I said, in troubled times, times we don't always understand. We don't always know what's really going on. I, I think we, as Americans especially, we have a tendency to live in the past. We start, we, and it's not, we learn from our past, obviously, but we don't realize how things aren't exactly the way they were five years ago, ten years ago, 20, 30, 40, 50. They're not the same. Why? Because the people aren't the same people. And what we start to find out, if you really do your research, that things back then weren't quite what we thought they were either. And a lot of these things we're seeing today are just results of things that have been going on since the beginning for a long time. So, may what we have experienced so far in Isaiah 40, and what we explore today, the hope is that it brings us hope and encouragement. So let's begin, we're in verse 18 of Isaiah 40. And this is what Isaiah says. It says, To whom then will you liken God? And what likeness compare with him? Yahweh is unique. There's no one like God, Yahweh. Now, there are many times in Scripture that uh, the Bible will compare Yahweh to creation, to his creation. He, he, sometimes he's called the lion. He's sometimes called a fountain, a tower, a husband, a father, a soldier. So many, many descriptions that Scripture gives to God, Yahweh, to describe Him. But in reality, all of those words fail to, in comparison, to the wholeness of what He really is. Isaiah tells us in 18. He says, "There's, there's no analogy within creation." that can do justice to who and to what Yahweh is, no words can say at all. It's not possible. He's beyond all the categories that we might try to put Him in. And He deserves our unwavering trust. He deserves that. He deserves that we trust Him. The problem is is that in our humanness we don't. We haven't from the start. Adam and Eve did not trust God. They didn't trust what He said. Because the serpent comes along and says, "No, that's 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 not what God meant. That's not that. No, God just doesn't want you to be like Him. So we want to be like God, and we are in some ways. He's given us some of His attributes. You know, we have a conscience. We have a soul that lasts forward into eternity. It didn't last past in an eternity, but forward into eternity. But we're not God, and we will not be a God." That's the new one. It's old, but it's a new thing you're seeing in some of the churches. Even people like Francis Chan has begun preaching about the little gods theology, that we will become gods. That is false. It's taught in Mormonism. It's taught in Catholicism. And it's also taught in the Word of Faith movement. And now many of the people who are in Protestantism, where we thought we were good teachers, are now beginning to ease into that. You must be careful who you listen to. We must trust Him. There's great folly in idolatry. Because if we don't trust Him, what are we trusting in? Who are we trusting in if we don't trust in God? There's great folly in doing idolatry. This is what verses 19-20 says. An idol, a craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver change. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Now understand, if you if you go back and study the ancient ancient religions, they did not believe that that little idol was a god. What they believe is that that idol was a channel that they could use to pray to a god to come down and be in that idol for a moment so they can communicate with him. We're going to encounter this idea over and over through the rest of Isaiah. This idea of idolatry and how foolish idolatry is. In these verses, we notice that at first glance, that he's not, you know, Isaiah's not really, he's not really criticizing idol making. Meaning that he's not criticizing the person who made it, who's who's created the craftsman who 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 makes the idol. He's not really criticizing them because he says the craftsman makes it. They do smart things, you know, casting in gold and chains. And, and if it's if they can't afford something that's gold and, and silver, they, they cast it in wood that won't rot. They, they do smart things. They're good craftsmen, obviously. He's not criticizing the craftsmen. He's not, he's not, he's, but he's criticizing this idea of idolatry. And in the midst of it, he's, his words are kind of dripping with sarcasm. It's almost, like he's, it's almost like he's like watching a YouTube video on how to make idols. You know, how they do it. But he, his words are sarcastic. You know, idols, they seem impressive, don't they? And I'm not talking about the statues. I'm talking about the idols we have today. Isn't this amazing? I mean, there's more technology here than what put the man on the moon. We have idols today. We make idols of people. We make idols of organizations. We make idols of ourselves. We make idols of our possessions. Sometimes those things even inspire us, but in the end, they're nothing. They're nothing but wood, and they're going to rot. This is why we should never find our sense of worth or our identity in anything that is in creation. Or that is man-made because it's going to rot yes I am a pastor you call me pastor but that's not really who I am who am I I'm a child of the living God who has been called to share his word that's what I am I may be a husband and a father but I don't find my, I, I find worth in that but that's not who I am that's so we're not where I find all my worth. My worth is in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where my worth is. Everything else, if I put my worth in that, I'm not putting my worth in Him, and I'm an idolater. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John, his first epistle, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, understand, he's not saying don't have anything to do with the things in the world. He's, He's not saying don't have a cell phone. He's not saying, you know, but don't love them. Don't, don't idolize them. Don't, don't obsess over them. What happens when we, when we lose our cell phone? What do we do? <sighs> right. What he's saying is don't love it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Like I say, he's not saying we can't enjoy what God has blessed us with in this world. We're, not, we're supposed to enjoy our families. We're supposed to try to love them and, and be a good father, be a good mother. But we don't find our identity in that. And we don't love it in place of God. We must always delight that God alone is God. That Yahweh alone is Yahweh. Or in Hebrew it's Elohim alone is Elohim. God alone. El is El. God is God. His incomparability is our salvation. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into idolatry. I want to just take a few minutes to dig a little bit deeper in it. We know that if you read the Old Testament, especially if you read the New Testament, even you can see that, that Scripture is vehemently against idolatry. And to this day, we need to be against it. And why we might think that idolatry is something that happened in the Old Testament when, you know, at, at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, the Israelites built the golden calf and they worshipped it. It's still going on today. Actually, to be honest with you, I saw a video of of the um, Commonwealth Games in England, and they actually brought a huge calf in, and they worshipped it during the games. So yes, even that kind of worship is going on today. At the end of his first epistle, John wrote, he instructs us, he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. He calls them little children. Why does he call them? They're adults. Chances are, I mean, it's not. he's not talking. He's not teaching Sunday school to kids. He's talking to the adults, but they're little children because they're weak and they're young in their faith. Probably some of them have been believers for a long time and they're still young in their faith. And he tells them, keep yourself from idols. And he's not just talking about the little statues. He's talking about those things that get in our way. Sometimes they are physical. Sometimes it's just pride. The essence of idolatry is to replace the truth of Yahweh for a lie. Paul talks about it. He talks about those who seek idolatry in Romans 1.25. He's because, because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All the false religions of the world, they're lies. Those who believe, all of, believe in those false religions, are idolaters. Those that place organizations, those that place in, in Catholicism, if you place the Catholic Church above Christ, you're an idolater. In the Protestant religion, if you can place you place your denomination above Christ, you're an idolater. Doesn't matter what the, the, the denomination is. I know this sounds harsh. It's not popular today to say these things, but today it's fashionable to say that all religions are good and all religions lead to God and lead to heaven. But only the faith in Jesus Christ leads us to heaven. All others lead you to hell. That's what Scripture says. There's secular materialists, those who believe in just that the only thing we have here is material, the material world. They're idolaters. To put our ultimate trust and the goal for our lives into a man or something that is man made is idolatry. It's all a lie. Anything that you turn to in order to, to try and save yourself from sickness or depression. And believe me, I'm not talking about people who have chemical imbalances and they need they need medicine. That's that's a wholly different thing. But when we turn to something that helps us escape and we can't get rid of it. That's idolatry. To save us from sickness, depression, or to save us from the ultimate damnation of hell. Anything but Jesus Christ is idolatry. It's not from Yahweh. It's an idol. We make I said we make it out of money, pleasure, power, professional, and academic achievements, sports, beauty, sex, possessions, entertainment, fun, food, all these things in the world are lower, do not even compare to Yahweh. As I said, how many of us, how do you feel when you can't find your cell phone? How lost do you feel? I mean, I admit, I do. There are times I've lost it, I have no idea where it's at. I'm like, What did I do with it? What am I going to do without it? What if somebody tries to call me? What if somebody tries to text me? How am I... But I, I have to wonder, if I don't spend some time every day in this, do I feel the same loss as I do if I don't spend part of the day with this in my hand? I I believe me, I'm I'm looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you know, where's my where's my priority? Idolatry is rampant today. And I think it's even more insidious today because we we don't make little statues of worship. We worship the things of everyday life. And it's forbidden. Idolatry is forbidden. Yahweh absolutely forbids idolatry. It it so inflames his, his jealousy that the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with idolatry. He first says to them in the first one, this is in Exodus 20, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He's a jealous God. You can have no other Elohim, other gods before Him. And to help you with that, He gives you the second one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So don't worship anything but me and don't make yourself anything that's going to make you worship something other than me first two commandments are all about idolatry. He wants our whole hearts. He he wants to place something in our hearts. He doesn't want us to place something in his heart that takes his place. He's incomprehensible. His place is is incomprehensible. He needs to be here. Like I said, it doesn't mean we can't have nice things and we can't enjoy things. We've got to understand those are blessings from God. But we can't get so wrapped up in those that we forget about God. Where are those things... In your heart. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is not saying spend all the money you can in your lifetime. Don't have provide anything for your, for your kids because... Scripture also tells us in the Old Testament that a wise man, a good man, gives inheritance to his kids and his children's children. Okay, what man? What man builds a tower without knowing whether or not he can afford to do it? I mean, we, we, he, he wants us to save money. He wants us to be wise with our finances, but he doesn't want that to be an idol. If we're storing up tre- kind of treasures here on earth and we do nothing for the treasures of heaven, which is to live a godly life and do what God wants us to do and take care of the poor and feed the widows and the children. If we're not doing those things, then, then what we're doing here with our money is an idol. He wants us to provide for the church. He wants us to give freely and with joyful hearts to the church so the church can do the work that it needs to do. There's nothing in the universe that is like Yahweh. We know from Scripture that there are other Elohim, other gods, but there's no Elohim like Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 10, it says, For the Lord your God, Yahweh, and, or your Elohim, that's what those words are in Hebrew, for Yahweh your Elohim is God, big G, big E, Elohim, of God's little Elohim, little E. Of the Lord, and Lord, Adonai of lords, Adonai little a. The great and mighty and the awesome God, Elohim, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He is. There's nothing that compares to him, even in the unseen realm, a host of heaven. I don't know of any of you who've seen an angel. I've never seen one, but I imagine it's pretty awe-inspiring. But even that pales in comparison. All the visions that John had of the four beasts and the the, the 24 elders and the host, heavenly host, all praising God, pales in comparison to the one who sits on the throne. To whom can we compare God? No one. Yahweh is infinitely holy and he's unique. And Isaiah goes on, verse 21. He talks about the supremacy of Yahweh. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? See, what I'm telling you today is not categorically new. Now, we may not have heard it in a long time. Especially in some of our churches, we haven't heard these words in a long time. You've heard it before, you know who God is. Unless you're a non believer, you haven't trusted Christ. If you spent any time in church, in a good church, you should have known these words. You should know that God is holy, that God is His majesty is amazing. There's nothing that compares to Him. You've heard it before. We may not fully understand it, but the uniqueness of God is not a new topic to anyone. And even those that haven't never come in through the front doors of any church know it. We know that because Paul tells us in Romans 1.20, he says, For these invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Yahweh's been telling the world for a millennia, I'm God, I'm here. I'm glorious. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. All these things that He's told us throughout Scripture. He's told it through the prophets. The prophets are constantly saying, you've got to turn from the idols. And then throughout His creation, line by line, book by book, through the unfolding of history, Yahweh has been revealing Himself to humanity. And He does it today. We just sometimes don't want to look for him. Isaiah continues in 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. I think over and over again in our lives, we need to return to these words of Isaiah 40 and to other scriptures that we know of that, that, that feed us this theology of who God is and how awesome He is. When we're weak, when we're weary, when we're struggling, when the things of this world and the problems in our lives seem to be getting us down, we need to go back to these words and we need to contemplate and think about who God is and what God is and how much greater He is than even all of our problems. I mean, we've sipped from these words many times. I think sometimes we need to go in and we need to take some big gulps of God's word, especially these that tell us about who He is in our times of trouble. We need to gulp in the words of God, the word of God, so that it could strengthen us in our resolve to persevere through the trials and the struggles, struggles that we have. When we get afraid and we think that this world is going to cave in around us and the insanity going on around us. We must remember that the people of this world, the ones who think too highly of themselves and want to rule the world, are nothing more than grasshoppers in God's eyes. God is not impressed by the powerful in this world. The nations are like a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales that we talked about last week and the week before. So Isaiah is now, he's going to zero in on these rulers and these leaders. In verse 23. It is Yahweh who brings princes to nothing. And makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. See, I believe God is still at work in our world today. These verses completely destroy this idea of deism. That God created the universe. That's the description of it. It says, deism is the belief that God created the world and then let it evolve itself. Deists believed the best form of worship was to do good for others. Deism gained prominence as people began to accept the scientific method. Um, The only thing I would change in that is believed. I would make it believe because it's still popular today it's just going under different names. God doesn't have any involvement in this. He just has spun it all, you know. But see, God doesn't stay out. Yahweh doesn't stay out of the workings of our world. He gets actively involved. In the book of Daniel, he, he says, He, meaning Yahweh, changes times and season. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Now, I, I want to make one thing very clear. Just because God puts a leader in place doesn't mean that everything that le- that leader does is ordained by God. And that we must just accept it and do whatever that leader says, because that leader is put in place to do to follow God, to do what God wants him to do. But he's still human. He still has a free he or she are still human. Still have a free will. They can still do whatever they want. It's up to God to take them out a place, however He wants to take them out. Sometimes, sometimes He does it pretty drastically. Other times they're voted out of office. But just because somebody in higher office tells us to that we have to do something. Unless it, if it goes against Scripture, we do not have to. If the laws of our leaders are in direct conflict with the plain law of Yahweh in the Scriptures, we must follow God over man. Now we must understand we must be anti-tyranny, but not anarchist. An anti-tyranny is somebody who's against somebody who's being tyrannical, but an anarchist is someone who's against all governments. And all leaders. We're not that. We're against tyranny. We must remember that kingdoms rise and fall. Republics rise and fall. Our country will not last forever. It has an expiration date. But see, the kingdom of God does last forever. And that's the one we need to be living in. Okay, I'm not saying we need to overthrow the government at all. What I am saying is... We need to judge our leaders correctly, that they are following God. And if they're not, we need to make it aware to them that they're not following God. John and or John and Peter did that. They're standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're told, do not preach in that man's name. And they said, Gee, um, God told us to preach his name. You tell us not to. I think we're going to follow God. And they were whipped, and they went out, and they still preached. We just got to make sure that we're following the law of God. We're following Yahweh, not following man that has led us led us astray. The book of Hebrews it tells us, "For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come." We are strangers in this world. We are traveling through it. This is not our home. Our home is with Christ where it was supposed to be from the beginning. And we need to start living like we believe this, that we believe that this is not our home. We care for it. We're good stewards of it. And if God calls us, we go into leadership and we show people what it means to be a godly leader. And we pray for our leaders, whether they are godly or not. And we respect the office that they have. But they need to follow God and not their own whims. Just like us. Because Yahweh is watchful. Verse 25. says, To whom then will you compare me? This is God speaking now, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God brings things in and out. He knows the name and the number of the stars. He knows the name and number of all of his heavenly host. You and I, we need a Savior who's not like us. Only a holy and incomparable God can save us. I want you to go out at night, look up at the stars. Who created them? Yahweh. He causes them to come out at every night and to shine. Even when the clouds are covering it, do they not shine still? Just because the clouds of our lives have a tendency to cloud us does not mean that God is not still shining from above and that the stars are not shining above us. He still cares for us. The clouds don't hide us from Him. The clouds of your life don't hide Him from us. We just allow it to cloud our minds and we forget about Him. When He should be the one we go to first in all things. Paul gives us this great image of Jesus Christ as the one who holds it all together in Colossians 1. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Everything was created by Him and through Him. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, our atoms would split apart. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, the earth would just keep spinning, and we would spin off into the universe. The moon would crash into us, and the sun would explode. If it wasn't for Christ, who holds it all together, Can you do that? Can I do that? Can anybody in our government do that? Can anybody in the United Nations or any place in the the world do that? No. Nobody is comparable to our God. But see, we have a tendency to be foolish and to put our trust in man-made things of this world or men in this world. When in reality we have the one who holds it all together and holds it in his hands wanting us to pull our full trust in him and our faith in him instead. So that's why Isaiah says in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Where's God in this? Why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen? see, deep down, we really don't believe that. We're just frustrated with the way things are. But do you think that God doesn't know what you're thinking? He knows everything. We think that God has abandoned us, but we know from Scripture that He wants us to seek Him and where He's not far from us. He's always right there if we would just turn. We're looking for it over here and over here and over here. We never get back here. Right? We never see him back here. Why? Because we're focused on this stuff out here. When he's always right there. We go through these trials and tribulations. We think that God doesn't hear our prayers. Or if we even pray to God at times. So just as the people of Israel's day need to hear this, we do too. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Yahweh is saying, you know me. You've known me from the creation of the world. You see me in nature. You know that everything I have, I hold everything in my hand. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. He is outside of time. You and I, we're trapped in today. He stands outside of time, seeing and knowing all. He knows what we're going to do tomorrow, the next day, and every day forward. He knows everything that's going to happen to us. And you say, man, that's a pretty mean God. He knows that I'm going to to have an auto accident in in, in three days. And he doesn't stop it. Why doesn't he stop it? Why? Because chances are I need to learn something from that. And I have free will. He doesn't force me to do anything that I don't want to do on my own. That's the beauty of trusting him. It's my free will. I choose to do that. That's the insidiousness of mandates... And some of the laws that come down from our nations, they're forcing us to do things we don't want to do that are not always good. And I'm not talking about taxes because tax season is coming because Scripture says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. We're supposed to pay our taxes. That's the law. What I am saying is that we can't put our trust only in that. We need to trust the one who created it all. Yesterday, today, and forever are always in front of him. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He doesn't get tired. He's not like us. I went hiking yesterday. I got tired. You know? He never gets tired. He walks the expanse of the universe and doesn't get tired. I walk out to the mailbox, I get tired. So what he can do is he can step into your day if you allow him to. And he can help you carry the burden. He can take it away too. He may take that burden away, but many times he wants us to carry it through because we need to learn to trust him. And he does that by what Isaiah says in verse 29. He gives power to the faint... And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He remembers his promises. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He wants to renew us each and every day. He wants to give you strength to persevere. He goes on, even you shall faint and be weary. (laughs) My, My son and my daughter were really tired after the hike yesterday. Had to keep them awake in the car as we were going where we were going until we saw the turkeys. We saw wild turkeys yesterday, you know. And if the kids had been asleep, they never would have saw it. See what happens when God gives us strength to persevere? The things we get to see and what we get to experience. It says, even you shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Boy, I'm waiting for that day. When I can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. We're not always strong and mighty, even though we like to think we are. I think I can climb a mountain. Okay, I can climb the hill behind the school over here once. Come down on the sled. I can't climb back up again. It's not worth it for me because I get out of breath too easily. I'm looking forward to this time when he could do it. But I think there is a time when that's going to happen. But I think what he's he's also talking from a, from a spiritual and mental standpoint. He gives us the ability to run when we don't feel like running in life. This journey that we're on is long. The enemy seems to be winning left and right. He appears to be strong the enemy does but the reality he's just a creature and we should not be worshipping him or his things he's the creature not the creator don't put your hope in this world put your hope in Jesus Christ and wait for him i know i hate to wait i don't want to wait i w- i want it now but god says wait as we play it, put our hope in, in the Lord, our strength's going to be renewed. He's going to give us new strength every morning. We need to seek Him, and He'll give us the strength for the day. He may not give us the strength for tomorrow, because no, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you've got to do tomorrow, because there's plenty of problems for today. You know, Seek God now. God, Tomorrow will take care of itself. That day you're going to get up, and you're going to seek God that day too, and He's going to get you through that one. He's going to get you through one day at a time. Too many times in my life I live a week and a day. I try to live a week and a day. We can't. We shouldn't. I've gotten better at it. I worry about tomorrow or the next day or the next I can't. I can't worry about it. I definitely can't worry about what people are going to do and what people are going to say. I'm done. Because I have enough troubles in today I need to give them to Christ. So I give everything else to Christ too. Past, present, and future. As we play, as we do this, we we, we got to renew our hope in Christ every day. Paul tells us in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when does that happen? I think that has to happen every day. We must renew our mind in Christ. We need to wake up in the morning and seek God immediately. And before we go to bed at night, we need to seek Him. We need to pray to him when we first get up and pray to him right before we go to sleep. He goes on, Paul does that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our God. Nothing can compare to him.